Welcome to part two, the second part of the two-part M episode. Well, first, I will, I will sum up the height of his power briefly. It was an empire. Robert Moses had an empire. He ran it from uh, Randall's Island. He had a building underneath his beloved Triborough Bridge, which, of course, now everyone calls the Robert F. Kennedy Bridge. Triborough. It was essentially an autonomous, sovereign entity. It wasn't a city or a state department. It wasn't a bureau. It wasn't a committee. Amazing. And they called it Triborough. Triborough had its own flag, its own license plates. It had a, ca- a communication network. It had a teletype hookup from Randall's Island to Belmont in Long Island to Niagara Falls upstate. No New Yorker could access Randall's Island except by driving. No one could drive there except on the Triborough. And no one takes a triborough without paying the toll. Right. Except Robert Moses, actually. He could uh, just drive right past. Well, he didn't drive, but... His, right, his driver took him right past. Triborough, the Empire, had a fleet of yachts and cars and boats. It had a uniformed army of 600 uh, bridge and tunnel toll plaza officials and also armed state troopers. He, Robert Moses, was in charge of this. He even hired retired um, U.S. Army and Navy senior officers to help command all of these people. Triborough... where's the money coming from? It's obviously coming from the tolls and the bonds Tolls and the bonds and and their tax dollars, honestly. Um, Triborough had its own constitution and its own laws. This was all still like parks rules and regulations. And you know parks rules are are a little tougher than city rules. Um, The empire was comprised of Triborough, Jones Beach... Beth Page, and State Power, and the New York Parks Department, the Long Island State Park Commission, of course, and the State Council of Parks. These were all his. These all belonged to Bobby Moe. Bobby Moe. Yeah. At its biggest in 1960, the land area under Triborough's direct control totaled 161 square miles, bigger than Washington, D.C., bigger than the Principality of Monaco. That's amazing. Now, these are not big places, but for Christ's sake, these are all under Robert Moses' control, unelected control. He was a king. He's a king. He was a king. Yeah, because he's not elected. He really, mm-hmm. You really can't get him out of power. Mm-mm. The empire employed 13,548 people and another 30,000 subcontracted workers. But the biggest thing is the money. This is going to blow your mind. Guys... Bear in mind, this is 1960. All right. Their annual income came from several sources, the toll booth revenue, of course, fees for the hydro- hydraulic power generated at the dams at Messina and Niagara, yearly budgets of state and city parks agencies, the total, $213 million. Oh, my. And that's not even in current money. Uh Uh-uh, that's 1960 money. And the Triborough's surplus alone, just what the Triborough earned above what it needed to operate, just the bridge. Mm Mm-hmm. 30 million of that, 213 million. So here, this is what is so interesting. Like we said before, Robert Moses was basically uninterested in wealth. Mm Mm-hmm. He had all this money... And he made the people around him rich. And he had partnerships with contractors and bankers and things like that. But, like, secretaries of his. Uh, really, you know, his his top-level assistants had fancy cars and 24-hour chauffeurs. Of course, part of that is in case he needed them at, at any time, day or night. 
He made millionaires and multimillionaires out of, a cer- out of a particular draftsman, a hot dog vendor he knew, architects, engineers, contractors, developers. He made people rich. He, he was doing okay. He wasn't poor, but he was not looking to accumulate wealth. He did have, he made his empire swanky and luxurious. He did have a car. He even had three chauffeurs for round-the-clock coverage in case he needed to get to work instantly. He had a yacht and a boat captain available on call in case he wanted to go fishing at a moment's notice. There were luxurious dining rooms set up on Randall's Island and at Belmont in Long Island, and there's one in downtown Manhattan. Each was equipped with a full-time staff and waiters, even though only one could be used at any one time. There were really lavish receptions whenever a new dam or a park opened. Guests were flown up by private jet. They had cocktails with the top Triborough officials. Moses had thousands of personal guests entertained at Jones Beach at his $1.5 million restaurant. And he had Guy Lombardo, his favorite, conducting the band in a $4 million amphitheater at Jones Mm. Beach. But money, as we said, was not the big thing. You know, got all this fancy glitzy stuff. But, as we all know, Robert Moses wants power. And money helped with that because it also bought information. Wow. He kept many city officials in fear. He hired investigators to assemble dossiers on people. Here's this interesting quote. Mayor Robert Wagner, one of the many mayors who come and go during Robert Moses' tenure. Uh, Robert Wagner is reported to have said, My experience with Moses has taught me one lesson, and I'll tell it to you. I would never let him do anything for me in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. I'd never ask him or permit him to do anything of a personal nature for me because, and I've seen it happen time and time again, a day will come when Bob will reach back in his file and throw this in your face, quietly, if that will make you go along with him, publicly, otherwise. And if he has to, he will destroy you with it. Wow. Yeah. So here's here's kind of um, an example of how low he could stoop. Uh, in 1937, Fiorello LaGuardia told Bob, Bobby Moe, Robert Moses, said he would have to assign thousands of construction workers, reassign them from parks to other projects. Moses said, well, if I have to lay off construction workers, then I have to lay off playground supervisors. I guess they had playground supervisors back then? Uh, yeah. So he said if he did that, some of the parks would have to close. Lay off playground supervisors, you have to close the park. This would surely set off a furious public reaction, and LaGuardia said, no, do not close any parks. You're fired if you do. And LaGuardia, and then LaGuardia left town for a mayor's conference. So Robert Moses did not close some of the parks. He closed all of the parks. He took all of the movable playground equipment away, including, like, the seats from the swings, took them away, padlocked 142 of the parks. Moses directed the public outcry to the mayor. Like, well, the mayor wanted me to do this. Every single park. So, yeah. So, not only did the mayor not reassign some of his construction workers, he also approved another half million for the parks to make the outcry go away. That's so, yeah, crazy. so they have an interesting relationship. They battled each other a lot, but they did respect each oh, other. Man. He, uh, and Robert Moses kind of knew 
what Fiorello LaGuardia liked. And Fiorello LaGuardia liked big, flashy engineering things, and Robert Moses could give him that, you know? I think he also knows how far he can push LaGuardia. Yeah, yeah, that's part of it. Um, Robert Moses never skimped on giving the mayor extensive tours and information about these feats of engineering that LaGuardia liked so much. When, um, all right, Moses made sure that LaGuardia was on Randall's Island on the day that the 2,200-ton vertical lift span that constituted the Harlem River arm of the Triborough Bridge was set into place. So this is the wow. one of the big stretches of the Triborough Bridge. It is, I, I think it's an impressive-looking structure, if not beautiful, but it is impressive. So the, the span is being set into place, and the mayor was there, and he was astonished. And he said, this is his quote, I love Fiorello LaGuardia, by the way, he said, this is the most thrilling moment I have ever had since becoming mayor. Moments like this make up for many heartaches and disappointments. And even after learning that Robert Moses was not an engineer, he still repeatedly would tell people, Robert Moses is the greatest engineer in the country. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, uh, yeah, I, I love LaGuardia. He's, he's it's kind great. Of, you definitely have this good, I, what I imagine, this good mayor, this good person mm. against kind of against Robert Moses. So they're kind of, you need them both. Yeah, well, Fiorello made his secretaries cry, and you know, that's bullshit. There is actually one, I have to tell a, a one Fiorello story, even though it's off topic, but it's about making secretaries cry. He he didn't like his commissioners. A lot of commissioners, he, he hated them. At one point, he had a commissioner in his office, and he called a secretary, and, and he began to scream at her for making a mistake that he had just invented. He just made this up. It didn't really happen. She didn't know it. She's just standing there. And he did this to the whole reason that he could say, if you were any stupider... I would make you a commissioner. Just because he came up with that line? Just because he came up with that line, he wanted to say it in front of the commissioner. He, God, I hope she, ugh. I'm sure he gave she her a bonus. Mm -hmm. I doubt that somehow. <laughs> I know, but I, you do, you, I, I did notice that Post LaGuardia is when mm -hmm. Moses really gets more power. Ah, yeah. So the next episode in the in the saga of Robert Moses is the UN. Did you read anything about this, Kate? I did. I just kind of read it as um, he was. De uh, there's not only was he behind a lot of the highway, freeway, mm -hmm. parkway systems in New York City and a lot of the parks, but I I, do, I know besides the UN, he's also he's behind some like pretty surprising buildings like Lincoln Center mm -hmm. and Shea Stadium. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, yeah, and the and the New York Coliseum. I don't. I haven't seen any pictures of that. Do you? Do you have any knowledge of that? Uh, I I don't. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it was an ugly thing. I read a bit thing, about but... it, and I was like, the Coliseum? Yeah. But we'll try to that? find, maybe we'll try to keep hunting for a photo of this sure. Coliseum. Uh, yeah, yeah, look on the Facebook page. We will try to find a photo or drawing of the New York Coliseum, because apparently it was hideous, and you know I love putting pictures of hideous okay. buildings on the Facebook page. And then we can page. vote again. <laughs> I won the last one. Yeah, you won the last one. I'm not inclined to have people vote again. I don't want to lose again. Yeah. Well, anyway, the UN, there were the, these negotiations to get the UN in New York, and it's sort of been s established there as like the default, but really it seemed they're competing for where would the permanent home be, and Philadelphia was in the lead. So it's December of 1946, New York's chances for the UN headquarters staying here 
were not good. It looked like New York was going to lose it to Philadelphia. New York hadn't come up with the money to start the project, and they needed a lot of space in Midtown. They needed a, a satisfactory site in Midtown. Moses made it happen anyway. It's, it's almost a miracle. They got lucky. The, the main thing that made it happen is a very important real estate man, William Zeckendorf, got in touch with Robert Moses. Now, he had been secretly buying lots of property in Midtown Manhattan. Uh, this is on the east side uh, for eight months. So these are big, big sections of Turtle Bay, which he originally intended to turn into like super block residential buildings. Incidentally, super block is one word, and, and I like that word a lot. He was going to do that, but the plans weren't coming together. He couldn't coordinate with a builder, or some other people weren't coming through for the money, and he had all this land. He, and he offered with the city like to take the land off his hands. Hell yes, they would. Thank you very much. So, problem number one perfect was solved. Timing. What's that? Strangely perfect timing. Really unusually, uh, suspiciously perfect timing, yes. But that didn't answer the other big problem, which was cash. So it's great that you have the land, but A, can you even afford to buy the land? Does the city even have that money? And then building the UN, you know, that's not going to be an inexpensive building. So they needed the money. Moses went to work on his friends, the Johns D. Rockefeller, both senior and junior. That's how he got the cash. I'm sure. I feel like Robert Moses finding that, like, getting the money is mm-hmm. not, it's not really going to be an issue. I, I think I think maybe you're right, but this is a little bit different because the UN, you know, doesn't getting it isn't getting anything from the state or city budget. It isn't getting right. anything from the tolls, and so he had to get creative with the money. And he called on his rich friends and nailed it. He nailed it. Problem number two is solved. And then you could say there's even a third problem. He only had four days to get all the legal stuff, the paperwork, the city, the workers, the ordinances, the regulations, the zoning, and that piece of cake. Robert Moses could do that in his sleep. He got that all set up within four days. All the legal hurdles had been cleared, and New York City's proposal was accepted by the General Assembly. Really kind of astonishing. Pretty pretty amazing, unless you realize that it's Robert Moses. I feel right. like four days, I feel like four hours is probably enough time <laughs> this point in his yeah. career to get all of that done. He was done in two days, and he took a couple days off, and then he was like, yeah, yeah here why you go. <laughs> now there is, uh, there is one story about the mistake that you might make if you think of even questioning Robert Moses' judgment. If you even if you even entertain the possibility that he might not have the best judgment. And that was Major William O'Dwyer. He made the mistake of questioning Robert Moses' plans. And this was the Mid-Manhattan Expressway. You know, the Mid-Manhattan Expressway that we have cutting through the middle of Manhattan? Oh, that one. Oh, that one, yeah. There is no Mid-Manhattan Expressway, and thank God for that. But they were working on one. They had it designed. It was supposed to go along 30th Street, elevated 100 feet in the air, and it would require the buildings along the south side of the street to be torn down. You know, whatever. Uh, You know, they're just buildings. Exactly. It would link up to the Lincoln Tunnel, and it would have been funded entirely by the Triborough Empire, not Mm. the city. So two separate entities, which is why a lot of this building was so tempting to the city. It was kind of free. So the trade and civic associations naturally spoke up. They did not love that idea. A tunnel would be less destructive and more aesthetically pleasing. And the mayor, Mayor O'Dwyer, agreed with them. He's like, yeah, if we could do a tunnel 
everyone to be better off. So here's here's the tiny little thing he did, right? Civic the trade and civic associations are like, hey, maybe before we do this nightmarish, ugly, destructive, elevated roadway, maybe let's look into the feasibility of a tunnel. Let's do a study. Let's see what it would cost. Let's see how disruptive it would be, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And the mayor agreed with them and gave permission for the planning commission to do a tunnel study and see if it would be feasible. Now the tunnel people would have to find the money somehow. He didn't he didn't give them funding or people to do this study. He just gave them permission to do a study. So that was basically that meant a study wasn't going to happen. It would it, it wasn't going to happen, but he just in theory was like, yeah, that would have been a good thing to do if the city weren't broke. Right. That is all he did. He gave them permission for something that wasn't going to happen. No one had the money. Only Moses had the money. Upon hearing the mayor had merely given permission for a study on the possibility of a tunnel, Robert Moses did what he usually did. He took his toys and went home. He submitted a resolution to the Triborough Board, which naturally passed, because he was the Triborough Board. They said the Triborough was no longer willing to build a, a mid-Manhattan crossing of any type and formally withdrew their request. So that free mm. Midtown Manhattan crossing was gone. The mayor begged him to consider, but Robert Moses refused. You know, he's, he's very anti-tunnels. There are several times in which, a few times in which he wants to build a bridge somewhere and the city's like, no, 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 let's have a tunnel, let's have a tunnel. Obviously, mm -hmm. we have a few tunnels. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But and they're great. They're great. They're great. Mm -hmm. But yeah, you just don't make as much money. You can't have as much traffic in a tunnel as you That's, can. Mm -hmm. and, and I think I read somewhere he was like, you know, twice the duration, twice the cost, half the traffic, something like that, which is probably true, but... That's because he doesn't think about all the other benefits of having the tunnel. He all, all he sees is the drawbacks. Well, there is another tunnel that he kind of got slapped down on. Mm -hmm. uh, it's kind of a good. It's pretty amazing how they went over. This is kind of this is definitely the decline of Rob, the beginning of the decline of Robert Moses when mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. he has a little less power. Um, you may know of the Brooklyn Battery Tunnel, Kathleen. Mm -hmm. I f rode through it for the first time like a week ago. You did. It's pretty cool. And it's great mm -hmm. because I feel like there's never as much traffic in the Brooklyn Battery Tunnel as there is just going up to the Brooklyn Bridge. Mm, certainly not as there is on the BQE. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, coming from Manhattan to Brooklyn, it's so fast. Mm -hmm. But of course, Robert Moses didn't want a tunnel. Mm -mm. They know they need one more. They want one. The city wants one thing, one more lower Manhattan connection to Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. <coughs> of course, he's going for this big, huge, honking bridge. Hideous, nasty. He's just, yeah. Yeah. Look at the picture on the Facebook page. It's, it's like, really? That you're going to, really? That's what you're, okay. Yeah, it's I, nasty. It, it would have been his, like, mark on the face of lower Manhattan, really, because you have all these other things, you know, uptown and midtown, mm -hmm. but really, the skyline would have totally been different, and oh, who knows what the financial district would be like now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But his idea to build this tunnel, he really would have encroached on the financial district. Mm-hmm. He really would have destroyed Battery Park. Battery Park City as we know it today would not exist. Like, Battery Absolutely. Park 
would have, I know that's more west side, but Battery Park would just totally be different. Oh, they never would have put a residential area right there. Yeah, never. Never if this maybe bridge slums, had gone up. Maybe, maybe right. public housing, but yeah. And and just think of when you like come into the city, especially if you're out in Governor's Island, I keep mm-hmm. imagining coming into the city and not seeing the lovely Brooklyn Bridge, but seeing mm-hmm. this like monstrosity. Yeah, something like the it. Triborough. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And, so he- and you mentioned Governor's Island. It would have used Governor's Island for a piling, it would have had to right. use part of that. So it would have been a very, very long bridge with that middle part on Governor's Island. And uh, and he would have had to remove the aquarium from Castle Clinton as well, if I'm not mistaken. I think so, yeah. it's mm-hmm. He really had no qualms with just destroying things to get yeah. what he wanted. bulldoze, bulldoze, yeah. Yeah. And he was just like, well, if I put this bridge up, I mean, this is you know, once again, funded by the Triborough Association, mm-hmm. he would have built this bridge. And he's like, well, you know, I'll get more tolls this way. More people mm-hmm. will go this way. Mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. it's because I don't really know if it would have worked as far as tolls, because if you look, you've just got the Brooklyn a little further up. Wouldn't you just go a little further up and take the free bridge? I mean, probably or, they had this like a, a direct link to Holland Tunnel or there, there'd be some some way to make it. I'm sure there'd be some great reason to take some this, great shortcut yeah yeah this, yeah, this bridge but nobody wants it like mm-hmm. LaGuardia hates the idea mm-hmm. of a tunnel um I mean I'm sorry LaGuardia hates the idea of a bridge the city doesn't want a bridge mm-hmm. the state and federal government don't want to give any money they still don't have any money to mm-hmm. give him and mm-hmm. this really is like I'm saying towards the end of his He's people not as getting in power sick as he of had it. Been. Yeah, yeah. People are are no longer like, yeah, build stuff, build stuff, build stuff. They, you know, they're seeing people getting destroyed and and uprooted and. Right. This is neighborhoods are starting to rise up against him. Plus, mm-hmm. you're pissing off the financial district, which. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now he's dealt with rich people successfully before, but that you know. That'll only get you so far. Yeah, yeah. You don't want to piss them off. Essentially, all these people rise up against Robert Moses and are like, no, I think they go over his head to Roosevelt. Mm -hmm. And the actual reason that the bridge is never built and a tunnel is done instead Mm -hmm. is that Roosevelt says, if this bridge is built, his reason for saying, no, you can't do this, is Mm -hmm. if the bridge is built and bombed, it would block the river and therefore block the Navy Yard and the Navy wouldn't be able to get out. Right. Which is kind of a bullshit... Which was weak, yeah. <laughs> but it's it's kind of not... Because, I mean, if you bombed, uh-huh. God forbid, the Brooklyn or the Manhattan Bridge, mm-hmm. you would block the river as well. But I think mm-hmm. he's he is imagining this much bigger bridge that really would cripple the city if it mm-hmm. had been bombed. And I think yeah. it was a genuine worry at the time yeah yeah i mean there's some plausibility to it but i think i think it was not a hundred percent like oh why i didn't even think of that of course governor you know it was uh you were trying to think of reasons to make me not do this yeah he i mean this is kind of the beginning of him with a lot of bad ideas that Mm -hmm. get turned down in and out of the city people also as we've mentioned earlier, people outside the city were coming to him for project ideas. Yeah. And my favorite one was in New Orleans, where he essentially wanted to destroy a part of the French Quarter in order to build a, a raised highway. Can you believe it? That's almost like him saying, what can I get away with? Who you? All they have is the French Quarter. That is the only thing to get tourists no, down I there. I love New Orleans. I, it's got... 
I wish I loved New stuff. Orleans. It it needs help. But okay, they have more than just the French Quarter. They have excellent universities and art galleries. But the point is, Robert, what True, were you thinking? Of- what were you thinking? Come on. Yeah. Yeah, he just I I was happy it got torn. I was happy it was not. It didn't go forward. Yeah, approved. The people of New Orleans spoke up and said, "We do not want. It's not going to happen here. This monstrosity." Uh, And then my my other favorite thing, something that he opposed that I was really happy about and kind of wish he'd been here to oppose again, Mm -hmm. was a stadium was proposed to put at the corner of Flatbush and Atlantic. Does that sound familiar, Kathleen? Yes, that sounds very familiar. I I can't quite place why it sounds so familiar, Kate. Can you help me out with this? Well, that's where our lovely new basketball stadium is going to be, just around the corner from me. Oh yeah, that's Brooklyn right. Nets. Don't we don't we have that right now? Is it's there, right? Yeah, it's almost built. So it's called what? Atlantic something yards. The Atlantic Yards, I believe. It's it's the Brooklyn Nets Stadium. Yes. Yeah, so for those of you outside of New York, and for those of you in New York who don't care, um, this is a rather recent and notorious example of um, the city or the state taking land away and destroying neighborhoods. Sounds familiar, which really doesn't happen a lot. I think the city has been very burned by Robert Moses and has learned from that mistake, but of course not not permanently, so they're, they'll keep making this mistake for forever. Um, and yeah, Atlantic Yards is almost completed now. The New Jersey Nets are going now the New York Nets. Is that how it works? I th- uh, Yeah, they're definitely, well, they're the Brooklyn Nets now, I think. The Brooklyn Nets, great. Yeah, so we have a basketball team. Yeah, we have a basketball team. I have a basketball team a block and a half from my house, almost. Yeah, yeah. In a couple months, but um, this apparently was has been a plan before, mm-hmm. and Robert Moses wanted to build a parking lot instead of um, giving the Brooklyn Dodgers a new stadium. Mm-hmm. And he That's got it. His, instead he of a new sta- way. he wanted to build a parking garage instead of give the Dodgers, the Brooklyn Dodgers, a new the stadium. Gee, I haven't been to see a Brooklyn Dodgers game in a while, Kate. Uh, yeah, I haven't either. It's because they're the L.A. Dodgers. They're now. the L.A. This Dodgers. Was pretty pivotal in them in them leaving New York. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So this was a big I mean, part I'm, of being I'm made to feel very unwelcome. I'm glad he opposed in a stadium because I'm not for the stadium that's being built right now. But mm-hmm, mm-hmm. he he opposed like they left the city. The Brooklyn Dodgers are no more. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I, he I'm did not... suggest for them, uh, I believe, a site in Queens, and the manager oh, was like, did. "We are he not did. the Queens Dodgers. We're not going to build a stadium in Queens." Yeah, we'll be the Los Angeles. Dodgers we'll we'll instead. be the LA Dodgers. Yeah, and that. Uh, well, Kathleen, do you have any more good uh, Robert Moses in decline stories for us? So he resigned in 1960. Uh, the Urban Renewal Project, uh, he resigned from that role in 1960, but this didn't stop Urban Renewal. There were 15 projects underway, housing 103,000 people, including dorms and classroom buildings for Pratt Institute. So, Kate, you've lived in one of his. Yeah, the I ugly have. ones, I'm thinking. I'm um, sure. Urban Renewal paid for the New York Coliseum. So this was just north of Columbus Circle. It was a huge convention center and exhibition hall topped by a 26-story office tower. So I guess that's where Trump building is right now? I'm not sure. 
Um, Lincoln Center and Fordham's downtown campus were next. The entire complex, the whole Lincoln Center and Fordham's, you know, uh, they bulldozed all kinds of homes and, and apartment buildings. The entire complex included 4,400, that's 4,400 new units of housing. And except for 400 of them, all of them were luxury units of housing. So that's how he does urban renewal. He bulldozes, gets rid of poor people, builds new buildings, luxury buildings. Now, as astonishing as all of his accomplishments were, and they were, right or wrong, they were pretty astonishing. The only thing that is more astonishing to me is how incredibly corrupt everything was. Ridiculously, absurdly freaking insanely corrupt every aspect of the construction was the subject of financial deals with politicians so one of the examples is slum clearance which it should have been like move people out of the slums bulldoze the slum sell the land to developers they build new buildings so that's kind of how slum clearance is supposed to go and of course they're supposed to relocate the people and you know hopefully build mixed income buildings but like those are the steps that are supposed to happen. Get rid of the people, get rid of the buildings, sell the land, build new buildings. But they figured out a really great scam to turn the site over to the developer with the buildings still there and the tenants still in the buildings. Oh, no. So now these developers, quote-unquote developers, uh, were now the slumlords. And they demanded exorbitant rent from helpless tenants. They did absolutely no development of any kind and usually no maintenance even of those buildings you drive the people out eventually on top of this the sites were sound were found to have been sold to these prospective slumlords for a fraction of their value so this is like tammany people were able to get in on this really sweet deal thanks to robert moses and that's just the corruption there are examples of robert moses actual literal outright cruelty now, all his housing, including, I think, even, like, Stuyvesant Town, Peter Cooper Villages, is kind of sterile, all of his housing, but his public housing is particularly uh, described as bleak, institutional, and monolithic, and that was deliberate. He firmly believed that public housing was charity, and its tenants should be made to feel like recipients oh, of charity. Terrible. Isn't that bullshit? Ridiculous. Um, during bulldozing of slums during the urban renewal, the one of my questions is, where do people go? Um, Robert Moses and his favorite developers had relocation tactics that were compared to uh, the residents were being hounded out like cattle. There is a lot of evidence saying Robert Moses' slum clearing methods created more slums than they cleared. There were definitely more slums after they spent the $1.5 billion on clearance than there were before they spent that. So this, again, this is, you know, he can do roads, he can do bridges, but when he tries to do housing, good lord, it is, it well, is a nightmare. And people are recognizing that, the press is recognizing that, and Robert Moses is even catching on to that. Well, plus this mentality and this these, like, development schemes that mm -hmm. he really... He kind of invents this, everything that just went wrong. He he gets, there's a lot of this suddenly going on in the city after he, after he starts, really starts getting involved in things he shouldn't get involved in. Mm. People start picking up kind of what he's doing. Mm -hmm. And 
especially now when he's getting a lot of bad press. Mm-hmm. Then you have the demolition of Penn Station, which he actually was not right involved but in. As, as it, Robert Mosesian, as that looks, that actually wasn't him. Yeah, it's not, but he is definitely blamed for some of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, just it, it's it's not his fault at all. And I definitely want to talk maybe in, in another podcast a bit mm-hmm. about. Penn Station and the demolition and the politics behind that. Mm-hmm. But his his ideas and his way of thinking influenced Definitely. the rest of the city where just all these beautiful structures mm-hmm. were being torn down for these gross, disgusting Huge monoliths, like monolithic, you said before. Yeah, this hideous stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I guess on some level that was seen as some kind of solution. You know, the old decrepit, broken-down brownstone being mowed down for a, you know, a shiny new superblock. You know, yeah, I do. on one I level, read- that's seen as improvement. Yeah, I have read stories about, um, just to get slightly off topic, about when Penn Station was torn down. They tore it down because they said it was so dirty and mm-hmm. there's no way to clean it. It's impoverished. They don't know what to do with it. Mm-hmm. And um, apparently it was pink marble, and mm. I've heard the first wrecking ball that went into Penn Station, mm. they realized that the columns that were pink marbled that apparently were too dirty to clean, mm-hmm. the the dirt, the like the stain on the marble was less than a quarter of an inch, or it was like a quarter to a half an inch thick. And so when the wrecking ball hit it, you could just see all this beautiful pink marble. <sighs> and it was almost instantly where they were like, shit. <laughs> But it was, of course, oh my torn God. down. But this is really... He really standing in. there? Oh, my God. I can't imagine. But this really... He really ushers in this era of destroying mm-hmm. these historical landmarks and yeah. putting up really gross things that mm-hmm. now we're having to start to worry about taking down. Yeah. I'd say a lot of the stuff that he built, as we said before, is, is really... Had, you know, doing well. Yeah, it's hideous, but it's solid. It's hideous. But the, the other people who start to follow Robert Moses mm-hmm. are not doing as good a job with the construction as he was. Because he really oversaw every portion of what any project he did. But a lot of these people really just start passing off projects. The good thing that comes out of this is a lot more buildings start being going under historical preservation. You can start to... People catch on and want to save the city and save this, like, sense of history. And yeah. so, really, it, it just keeps going downhill. He gets nothing but bad press. Like I just said, he gets blamed for this, and it's not really his fault. Mm-hmm. You know, you have the World's Fair is kind of the end of him being seen by the public. Mm-hmm. Really, he loses mm-hmm. all his public favor with... Well, the I, wanna, I, Fair. I have one more quick example before oh. I get to the World's Fair of, Sorry, of one other ahead. thing that was like him losing favor, and that was his bridges, all right? So he built a lot of bridges, tons of bridges, and uh, if they were intended to cure traffic congestion, they failed because regional planners were noticing some disturbing patterns. Moses opened the Triborough to alleviate congestion on the Queensboro, and it worked for a while. Then he opened up the Bronx Whitestone to alleviate congestion on the Triborough. And eventually, on and on and on, on all three bridges, traffic counts mounted until each was as congested as they had been before. 
So planners were forced to conclude that highways, ready? This is important. Highways generate traffic. More highways Mm. mean more cars, means more congestion, means more highways. The only way to stop this is to build mass transit facilities at the same rate as the highways. Not only did Moses not plan new mass transit facilities, he actively destroyed existing ones. He ripped up trolley tracks. He wanted to tear down the 3rd Avenue L, and that's that's gone now. Yeah. So, so, yeah, so people start paying attention and looking at the numbers and looking at the neighborhoods and... Like you're saying, public opinion is starting to change. And his fall started, this this drop in popularity largely uh, was started from some journalists. So muckraking journalists, yay, love them, finally overcame resistance from their editors and they investigated the corruption in the urban renewal and slum clearance programs. So all that stuff of, you know, slumlords charging exorbitant rents and not renewing or developing anything it hit the headlines just as the city residents were also starting to notice that robert moses projects weren't really solving the city's problems and his bulldozer approach to housing and transportation maybe not the best approach but then there were two really spectacular battles that uh that made his pedestal even shakier, that, that things got even worse for him. 1956 was the Battle of Central Park. Robert Moses wanted to bulldoze this beautiful little leafy park to expand the parking lot of Tavern on the Green. Yeah. And 1959, uh, theater producer Joseph Papp found himself in a fight with Robert Moses. He, Robert Moses wanted, him, wanted to force him to charge admission to Shakespeare on the Park. As I don't know. understand how he thinks he can be like, hey, yo, I know you're running this great theater thing in the park. Mm-hmm. I want you to charge money for it. I mean, he was the parks commissioner. That might have been how. I'm not sure. Because I know Tavern on the Green is like the only for-profit thing in Central Park. I don't know the whole story behind him and Tavern on the Green, but it might have been like, hey, we could have other for-profit things in this park. Maybe that's it. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Um, so then this, so you mentioned the World's Fair, and this is how um, a lot of, we were finally able to get rid of him. This is kind of surprising, but he voluntarily stepped out of a lot of his roles for the World's Fair, the 64-65 World's Fair. He wanted to be president at the World's Fair, and that role started in 1960. Uh, it said here, since the city's code of ethics forbade holding a city job and a quasi-private job like fair president, um, he resigned all his city posts. Now, in the past, he would have found a way to keep them all, but he wasn't an idiot. He knew he failed at urban renewal. He knew that the headlines about all this corruption, he was more willing to resign than, than to fight for it. So the things he resigned from were chair of the, cl- of the slum clearance committee. He resigned from parks commissioner and resigned from the city planning commissioner. I'm so surprised he gave up the Parks Commissioner one. I know. Isn't that amazing? This is where he really, when he gives up this much power, people are really able to get in there to Mm -hmm. force him even further out. The minute Mm -hmm. he steps back and lets go of it, that's really the end. Uh, As I, you know, we, I would like to do a whole thing about World's Fairs in the city. Mm -hmm. We're really pushing how long this episode is. Yeah, we are. I'll just... This 
this the World's Fair in 1964-65 was a disaster. Mm. Uh, monetarily wise, not as many people showed up as they thought. Mm-hmm. You know, it just didn't it it didn't do what he hoped it would do, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. ended up costing the city a lot of money. Oh my god! I mean, I'm and I'm almost happy. <laughs> I'm oh. almost happy, but it's it's really funny in that he takes this job because he thinks you know it's just the next thing in power that he's going to do. Mm-hmm. And it just bombs so badly. He's really on a roll on the not doing so well with the yeah. projects that yeah. he picks up. Once he starts so messing once, up, he really starts to mess up. Right. So once this happens, the mayor and Governor Rockefeller, which they they want to, this is when they feel like, well, you failed so bad at this, we can start chipping away at you. Mm-hmm. They want to start using the tolls from the Tribro to cover, you know, deficits that the city, ne- huge deficits the city now has, mm-hmm. and to cover the cost of the subway. Mm-hmm. Moses fights all of this, and yeah, he had this really impressive position in D.C., where he was kind of the liaison for New York in mm-hmm. Washington, D.C. So mm-hmm. he was kind of the go-between for the state and the city and Washington. Mm-hmm. But there, he's forced to resign that position. Mm. But he, he really, st- he did still have some, he, he, I mean, we're talking about a man who had dozens of job titles. Yeah, yeah. He got, most of them he'd been either pushed out of or had retired from. I know in the case of a lot of his state roles, a lot of his state of New York roles, he actually had a violent disagreement with Governor Rockefeller in 1962, and he abruptly resigned from all those roles. So Rockefeller initially pleaded with him, begged with him to reconsider, but then accepted his resignation, and that was from State Council of Parks Chair, Jones Beach Power Authority, Beth Page Power Authority, and New York State Power Authority, and also his first one, the presidency of the Long Island State Park Commission. He was done with New York State. Uh, yeah, he he really butts heads with Rockefeller. He's mm-hmm. Rockefeller's really a man outside of his influence, has his own power base. So Rockefeller decides to go to the, straight to the legislature mm-hmm. and wants to fold in the Triborough Bridge and Tunnel Authority. Mm-hmm. They want to fold them into the MTA, which will totally take even more power away from Robert Moses. Right. So the Metropolitan Commuter Transportation Authority is what it used to be called, and it is now, of course, the Metropolitan Transit Authority. Yep. Exactly. So they just, they, you know, the newly created Metropolitan Transit Authority, our beloved MTA, mm-hmm. folds in the, uh, I'm just going to call it at this point, the TBTA. Triborough Transit Authority. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And it's a way that they can start taking those tolls that they've been wanting this whole time mm-hmm. and using it to fund MTA projects. Finally. And that's a lot of money. Right. And the kicker of this is the largest holder of these Triborough bonds that mm-hmm. we've been talking, that I talked about earlier, is Chase Manhattan Bank, which is headed by David Rockefeller, the governor's brother. Yep. So. They really kind of get him in a corner, and Mm -hmm. Moses could have gone to court over this. Mm -hmm. He could Mm -hmm. have fought it, Mm -hmm. but he was he was promised. They told him, "Look, we're going to give you certain powers. You're going to have certain roles. You're Robert Moses. We can't do this without you." Yeah, huh? Well, don't worry about it. Mm -hmm. And 
so he's promises so he doesn't challenge the merger. But mm-hmm. then, of course, as soon as it's folded up together, he gives up his post. Part of the thing was he had to give up being chairman of the right. tribe row. Right. And once he does that, the new chairman and the governor totally freeze him out. None mm. of these promised roles that he's been promised happen. Mm-hmm. And now mm-hmm. Moses is entirely out of power. He holds no positions. And unbelievable. Isn't it's, it unbelievable? It's really funny how fast this, within a span of like three years, I think. Yeah, yeah. Th- f- four years after, between the, when he, st- when he gives up certain positions for the World's Fair mm-hmm. to 1968, when he loses all of his powers. The MTA takes over. Yep, four years, yep. that's it. It's, and he's, Robert Moses is done. He's 85 years old. Really he reigned amazing. for over 40 years. The age of Robert Moses was over. And, you know, it wasn't It wasn't like a big sudden thing. Like, you know, what we're recounting here is resignation this and um, absorbing that. But it was It was uh, several years before that people were like, uh, no, this guy's not doing what he's supposed to be doing. And that just accumulated until it hit a certain threshold. And even he knew it'd be better to get out. Yeah, I mean, he he comes up with a couple more ideas for bridges, projects he thinks would be great to co- to construct, mm-hmm. but he he really nobody ever. He essentially he's like this doddering old fool. Nobody listens to him. Mm-hmm. He goes into a quiet retirement at this. He swims point. a lot. Yeah, he does because he, as the man who built all of these swimming pools, mm-hmm. he loves to swim. Um, and kind of, it dies at an old age of 92 of a heart, mm-hmm. of heart disease in yeah. 1981. Yeah. There's a very cute picture of him in one of those old timey, big one piece swimsuits I that guys used swimsuits. to wear. You'll see that on the Facebook page. Yeah. Yeah. And that was it. But you know, that wasn't it because you see other cities and they've got the same thing. They've got the same bulldozer approach it happened in Chicago. They, they just plowed them through and they have those mega blocky housing complexes it's still still out there and he's going to have that effect for centuries probably but little by little we're starting to see the importance of green space historical preservation listening to the people who vote and pay taxes you know little things well yeah imagine as as much bad things as he did the kind of the outlash against what he did Mm -hmm. he's kind of created the things he he helped to create the things he was against in the end like i think think a lot of the things you were just mentioning may not have really come about mm -hmm. without having this enemy to fight against i think you're right i think it helped things solidify but but he sure did a lot of damage in the in the course of getting to that point he did i did read something about how he uh, hold on, sorry. About how if he were in charge of the World Trade Center reconstruction site, that it would have been done. Oh yeah, it'd be done in a year. Ago. Yeah, <laughs> there, there's the, something to be said for that. Yeah, saying saying what you like, but he definitely definitely gets it done. He gets it done the way dynamite gets it done. Right. And I will I will go to my grave saying that because I think it's rather witty. I, th- I, I think you shouldn't hold on to it. So the only <laughs> thing else I'd like to say is that um, there will be a movie about Are Robert Moses sure coming. Are you sure about that? 
Well, uh, HBO, I'm super excited about that. Oh, an HBO movie. Okay, that makes it's more an sense H- to me. HBO is is who is uh, working, on working on it. It's so based it's on the in Robert productions now. That's what I'm, I'm wondering it's if it's in being discussion. written right now. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I'm not sure where it's at. You know, we will update you if we hear anything good. Robert Caro, who we've discussed several times, wrote a scathing biography on Robert Moses. Mm-hmm. And it's that's... Epic. It's huge. Yeah. It won the Pulitzer Prize. Got a Pulitzer. Yeah. It, uh, is what the movie is going to be based on. I'm going to try this. to read that, but it really is big. It's it, uh, it's I put a, a reserve for it at the library, mm-hmm. and there's a bun- There are a lot of copies in the library, and mm-hmm. they were all taken, and there were holds. <laughs> Amazing! <laughs> That's just the Brooklyn system. Wow. If, yeah, I was I was pretty shocked. So there's a lot of talk about who should play. Robert Moses. So I thought we would each throw our ideas into the hat. Mm-hmm, Sorry. Mm-hmm. I thought we'd each throw our ideas into the ring. Maybe, who knows, Oliver Stone will listen to our podcast. He'll listen to us, yes. And he will know that I say that I really think Stanley Tucci would be a great I'm Robert Frank Moses. Langella all the way. All Are the you? way. If Frank Langella has a son, he can play young Robert Moses. Or if we can clone Frank Langella, it's gotta be Frank Langella. Those are our opinions, Mr. Stone. I do I do like the idea of that. And I, I want to say that I really want Bob Hoskins to play LaGuardia. Bob Hoskins to play LaGuardia? I don't know. It just seems good know. to me. I'm but rooting for not. Danny DeVito. I love... It's because I saw Bob Hoskins in a movie this weekend. And so oh, okay. <laughs> What'd you see him in? Uh, I saw him in Snow White and the Huntsman. You went to Snow White and the Huntsman. All right. Well, that seems like a movie discussion that is better suited to other podcasts we know and love. So we should wrap this one up because it's already quite lengthy. Kate, thank you very much. This was fun. This might be my favorite. Thank you. Yeah, this is, it was, thank you for slogging through this with us. And (laughs) I know it's a lot of information. Thank you so much for listening. Mm -hmm. We hope you learned something you didn't know before. Exactly. We only do a couple of these mega episodes mm-hmm, per mm-hmm. alphabet, hopefully. So yeah. enjoy, and we will see you next time. Talk to you next time, folks. Bye. For more ABC Gotham, go to our website, abcgotham.podbean.com. Special thanks to Podcasting's Brock. The music for ABC Gotham is by Big Rude Jake. ABC Gotham is a K2 production, copyright 2012, all rights reserved. I wish you could be here with me on this night of New York City. I wish you could be here with me on this night of New York City.